This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, community and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Icon family, I have a question for you. Have you ever been a part of something and then after a while you kind of felt like it was time to leave? Have you ever felt like you've been a part of something for a while and then you ended up just just leaving? Maybe it was a group of friends. Maybe it was a board, a club, a sport, a job, or even a church. Let me ask you, what made you leave? I'm not, I'm not even talking about whether or not it was the right choice to leave, what you're, uh, you know, whether or not it was good or bad. I'm just asking, what was it that made you leave? What made you reach that decision? In most cases, uh, likely your purposes were misaligned with those groups' purposes. On some level, whatever your purpose was, whatever you felt like your reason, your meaning for belonging there was, you felt like that that reason was no longer aligned with the reasons that were uh, present in that group. So, friends, maybe you made friends with with, uh, folks in high school and you guys had the same goals and dreams in high school and then maybe they changed or diverged in college. Or maybe uh, while you're in the workforce and you're at a certain job, Uh, The trajectory of that company or that organization is moving in a place that is no longer congruent with where you are or with where you want to go. Maybe you were part of groups in college where, hey, we're all trying to uh, get to this specific degree and we've done that. But now when it's time to go into the workforce or maybe some choose to be single, some choose to be married, there's diverging goals and roles. And so maybe you just are like, hey, I'm not necessarily a part of that anymore. Maybe the direction of the board is going into a different direction and so you can no longer sit on that. Any of these situations, right, the things you value no longer seem to be the things that those places value or those groups value. Maybe they value them differently. And maybe that's been the case with church as well. Maybe you feel like that some of the things that uh, maybe your local church values uh, is different or maybe even out of step with what it is that you value. Now listen, in all of these cases, uh, the lack of aligned purpose often means departure. The lack of aligned purpose often leads to departure. And so maybe that was the case, but I want you to notice the difference. There's a difference between the first several things I mentioned and the the last thing. There's a difference between all of those examples and the church. And here's what I mean. Your, Your decisions for joining certain friendships, they will vary subjectively. They're very subjective, right? What I want in a friend, what I want in this type of uh, job, what I want in uh, uh, this board, this club, this sport team, whatever it is that I choose, they're going to vary on uh, along lines that are individually important to me. And so I do. And for those examples, I kind of determine the decision-making matrix I should be using in order to figure out whether or not I want to join and stay as a part of those groups. But church, I would submit, is a little different. Church should be uh, something a little bit more than just subjectively what I want 
in a church. I would submit to you that your purpose for being a part of a church, or even purposes for being a part of a church, are not merely subjective. They may be subjective, for sure, and that's going to happen, right? What kind of music I like, uh, you know, what I like to see, how I like service to be, how long I want services to be, whatever, whatever those things are, those are subjective. They're not bad, but they are subjective. But I would also say that there are very specific objective reasons for why any follower of Jesus should be a part of a church. And these objective purposes are increasingly hard for many of us to identify today. Many folks have a hard time figuring out what are the objective reasons? What are the things that are incontrovertible that need to be true about why I should be a part of a church? And a lot of those things are hard to define because frankly, the church does a hard job of communicating why those things should be necessary. But it is increasingly evasive. And part of the reason why that is, is something that has been well articulated by someone else. There's a pastor by the name of Kerry Newhoff. He is a pastor in Canada, a man who began his training in law school and then felt a calling to go into ministry and planted a church, a very influential church in, uh, in Canada and has since stepped down from the church he planted, but is still a pastor there, just not the lead. And he's been talking a lot about burnout and a lot about why people feel burnt out, not only in ministry, but even as congregants. And he had a, a recent uh, thought that he shared about why some people uh, seem to be attending church less or no longer attend church at all. And he said for a lot of people, they believe, and maybe you feel this way, that just attending church doesn't seem to make sense for many people, especially people in kind of that ecosystem of kind of big box churches that have tons and tons of resources to be able to, to, to deliver uh, the, perfectly packaged sermons in the ways in which we prefer. <clears throat> All those things are, are, can make it a little bit difficult for people to figure out why they should even be there, right? What do I mean? Well, uh, every, every churches with resources, you can make church services available for anybody to stream live online. People can uh, go back later and watch on-demand services if they're not able to be there uh, uh, live. If they can't go to their church, they can go to another church's uh, service. Services are on-demand. You can listen anytime during the week. What's the point in going? I can listen to a sermon anywhere. I can watch my church at any time. And if I don't happen to find a church within my ecosystem, no problem. There's tons of other churches that do it as well. So. With this embarrassment of riches, if you will, of churches that offer on-demand options, why even go? And that post, he, he posted that, and I thought it was a really important question, but I actually think there's a deeper question that needs an answer. It's not just, why even attend church? We need to figure out, why ever be a part of one? Why ever identify with the church universal? Why even connect? And what is the importance of being grafted into the body of Christ? What does that even mean? And should it be something that we prioritize? If we just leave that to our subjective reasoning, we're not going to get to the right answer. Because like you, I have all kinds of reasons why it would feel like, what's the point in going to church? If I'm just using my own logic and reasoning, convenience, the ability to have options, the ability to not have to be in a place that maybe I physically don't feel like being. There's all kinds of subjective reasons. 
But the objective reasons are what we need to get to because uh, the, the truth of the matter is this, this answer, it matters so much because there is a trend of people trending downward in terms of being members of a church. And it's been that way for decades. The Gallup poll has been doing uh, a survey on church membership since 1937. Back in 1937, uh, the Gallup poll began this process every 10 years of tracking church membership, people who self-identify as a member of a church, a regularly attending member of a church, or just a member in general. So every 10 years, they take a three-year span and start polling Christians or churchgoers and even people who go to different religious uh, institutions all over the country. And they spend that time figuring out what are the trends? Where are people going? Are people leaving? Why? And some of these numbers are very telling. Let me share some of them with you. In 1937, 73% of Americans reported as being members of a church. And that stayed pretty pretty steady for the next six decades. So for the next 60 years, roughly that number stayed at about 70%. And then at the turn of the 21st century, you started seeing this steady decline. So you start seeing it at first from 98 to, to 2000. You see that number still hovering at seven, just at 69%. And then the next 10-year period from, from the, and, and, and they did it in the three-year period, 08 to 10, 62%. F- fast forward again to 2018 to 2020, 49%. It was the first time since they started this that a majority of people no longer identify as a member of a church. 2020. And when you factor that into also this idea that there are such a large number of people that really claim no religious affiliation of any kind. From 98 to 2000, 8% of Americans, no religious affiliation. From 08 to 2010, 13% of Americans, no religious affiliation. From 2018 to 2020, 21% of Americans, no religious affiliation. So one out of five people that you will meet have no religious affiliation of any kind. Overall, over the last 20 years, Americans who belong to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque, overall as a whole, they've dropped from 73% to 60%. Do you also notice that church membership changes or has dropped according to different age groups. So if you're a traditionalist, that's anybody born before 1946. Anybody that's alive that was born before 1946, that make up about uh, that group, 66% of that group identify as church members. Uh, Baby boomers, 58%. Gen X, 50%. Millennials, 36%. We're seeing a massive trend downward in people who just don't understand what's the point in being a part of a church anymore? What's the point in being a member? What, is, what are the values? What are the purposes? The most significant drop we see is among millennials, but everyone is still forced to answer the question, what's the point of being a part of the church, the church universal, and further, the local body? Well, I submit to, to you this again, misaligned purpose almost always equals departure and or lack of membership. So we need to see what the objective purposes in scripture are of the church. We've got to go back to that. We've got to figure that because I'm going to say this again later, but I have a sneaking suspicion 
that when people see the real purposes of the church, the true purposes and how they are uh, made manifest, it is infectious and it draws people in. And I have this suspicion that because there's been a disconnect between what we teach and what we say versus how we live, love, and how we pray. And that has in turn pushed people further away. And so what do we need to do to make sure that things are true in our own hearts and true in the way that we live out our faith? Well, we need to look at what the examples were in Scripture because we need not just go with only, here's what my experience has been, here's what that person's experience has been. All these experiences are valuable to understand, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the truths of the church that we see in Scripture are wrong. It may just mean that the way they've been applied and possibly even abused have been wrong. We need to know. We talked about this last week. We'll talk about it more. But many times when people are doing what we call deconstruction, it's important that we do deconstruct things that are unhealthy and deconstruct things that are damaging, deconstruct things that are wrong. But many times people aren't necessarily deconstructing Jesus or deconstructing God. They're deconstructing the abuses and the people who claimed to be acting in his name. And so we're going to really try to dig through that. So let's start. New Testament church. What were the purposes? How did those things make themselves manifest? Well, the first example of the church we see in Acts chapter 2. By way of review, you should uh, recall some of you, you were in our uh, the church series that we did uh, a few, maybe a couple of years ago now in Acts. And one of the things that you'll recall is here we have this body of believers. Jesus has died and been resurrected, and he's left his marching orders to his apostles, his disciples. They become apostles, and they start preaching, and they start doing all these things, and we're seeing this amazing thing happen, right? The very first sermon gets preached by Peter right after this incredible event happens. All of the people are amazed because you've got people from every, every corner of the known world is there in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they all speak different languages, and they all come from different cultures. But what do they have in common? They have their faith in Yahweh, their faith in Jehovah, and they want to celebrate one of the most uh, incredible acts that Jehovah showed them in celebrating the Passover. So they're there in Jerusalem. The Bible says every Jewish nation under heaven was represented that day. And they're there and they're there to celebrate. They're there to party. You've got seven weeks of partying and everything leading up, everything going into this Passover celebration. And while they're there, all of a sudden, something occurs that had never occurred before. All of a sudden, people are there. And the, you see that the disciples were there waiting in the upper room. They don't really know when Jesus is going to return. And they're praying and they're wondering what's going to happen. And they're praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends on them and they begin to speak languages they had never learned before. They began to speak in languages that they had never studied. Remember, they didn't have language schools back then. They didn't have all of these opportunities to just learn seven, eight, nine, ten different languages or more. And all of a sudden, they're speaking these languages. And then what, what's interesting is the people who are there who are visiting for Passover from all these different countries, they're hearing, they're hearing their languages. They say, some people are going, these men are drunk. And other people are going, wait a minute, no. How are they speaking in our own language and we hear them speaking the wonders and the works of God? How is that possible? These folks began to speak God's word and speak the truth about who God is and about who Jesus is to these folks. And these folks had to be convinced because they were like, there's no way you should be speaking my language. Many people look at this as the reversal of the curse 
at Babel. Because what we saw at Babel, what did we see? We saw people using language as a way, this common language, as a way to build themselves up. Hey, let's build a tower so that people will talk about us for generations to come, because it's about us. And God is like, back then, you guys are trying to exalt yourself above me by doing that. You're not trying to show unity for the sake of showing how good God is at being a unifier. You're just showing off for yourself. God immediately confounds their language and, and breaks up their language in order to split up what had happened in their idolatry. And now he reverses it by saying, and now I'm going to actually unite so that you can finally understand and hear each other, but your focus is going to be me and not yourself. So all of that happens and the church is born. People are like, something's got to be real here. They're talking about that Jesus that resurrected. We don't know yet. We're, we're thinking maybe we believe that, but, but something's got to be true because my goodness, they're speaking my language and they're speaking and they're witnessing to me in my own language. That is beyond anything we could have ever expected. And so you get to Acts chapter two and everything is amazing. Peter gets up and for those who didn't understand what was happening, he interpreted it what happened which is consistent with later we see 1 Corinthians, what should happen when people are speaking to different languages, but that's a different topic. So Peter gets up and he interprets what just occurred and he tells them this is what is happening and he starts to preach who Jesus is and people come to faith. And now you see the first gathered body of believers. What do they do? We get to see at least what the purposes of the church began to look like for them. Now let's read that. Acts chapter 2 looking at verses 42 through 47. And here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Now, we know that this is, an, this is an incredible story. This is an incredible account that Luke records for us about what this first church service kind of looked like and what services looked like ever since, or at least during that time in the Roman world. And what we see, we see a few things that happen when the church is gathered. Here's what we see. Uh, we see four big things. First, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, one of the reasons for the church is to ensure that we indeed are coming together to, to learn and embody God's word. What does it mean to be changed and transformed when the scripture says being, being changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds? How are our minds renewed? Our minds are renewed by staying in the word of God and not just doing it uh, where we can kind of divine it ourselves. The apostles' teaching, ultimately, the teaching of God's word is vitally important for the people of God. Vitally important. It wasn't enough. Now, we could say, well, why couldn't they just go and just study the scripture by themselves? Well, there's a reason why. We see this in other texts, why there is a gift of teaching. Because what that says is that in many ways, our own nature makes us bereft of comprehension and understanding as, a, as an individual. I don't care who we are, how much training we have. 
your own biases will get in the way. And what you think you, you hear God saying, or what you think God might be saying in the text may or may not be true. So you need to measure that within community by as we all dig into what the teaching of God's word actually is. And so those folks were there listening and they were like, they were in this group and they were listening to the apostles teaching the scriptures because that needs to be what guides what we think. Because what we think oftentimes guides how we feel and how we feel will then guide what we do. So it's really important. You can't have, it's not enough to just be like, I go to church and I love, you know, being able to sing and I love being able to see people. We'll get to that in a minute. That's vitally important. But if we are not in God's word, we're not doing anything like what the church gathered looked like in Acts. We should be moved to a place where I know that I cannot, I will not spiritually exist or grow apart from God's word. So that means when we're gathered, we're in the text. That also means when you're on your own, you're in the text. And here's the beauty of this. When both of those things are happening, when you're in God's word on your own, then you get to enter back into the community of faith and go, here's what I've been reading. And then allow people to speak into, because maybe what you read, you landed in a good place. Maybe what you read, you landed in a bad place. The only way you're able to kind of figure that out is to come into the community of faith and go, hey, I've been wrestling with this. And it's leading me to think here. Somebody else might come up and say, I, I hear that, but you do realize that God also has said this. So let's try to refine this here. And we, we deal with that. We, we work through some of these things really, really well. You see that in, in the scripture. When you see how the ways that even Christians have had to deal with disagreements, they've had to bring that back into the community of faith in order to resolve them. So teaching, teaching God's word ultimately, getting into the scriptures, the church gathered, we need that. We need that. I said it already. If I don't have my mind renewed properly, then what I feel will be off. A lot of you, a lot of us, we have feelings. We all do. God gave us that. God has feelings. God has emotions. But our emotions might be rooted in something that is either factual or not factual, true or untrue. Nothing is worse than expounding energy with feelings that are rooted in things that are not true. It ends up being a wasted effort and we feel silly after the fact. So we need this. We need to make sure that we're in the right teaching, that we're in the scriptures. But also what we see in Acts chapter two is there is a genuine fellowship, genuine engaging with one another, genuine just like what it means to fellowship, walking alongside one another, almost being lockstep. What does it mean to, to embody or to uh, uh, hear what's happening in your life and to be able to be in, in some ways even uh, uh, changed or touched by the things that are happening in your life. And then you become changed and touched by the things that are happening in my life. Even if it just means for you to be able to have more sympathy and empathy where I am, or you're, to be, you're able to be in a position where you can encourage me where I am. Maybe there are some things I want to be able to celebrate and I can celebrate with you. Maybe there are things that I want to be able to mourn. I can mourn with you. All of that is fellowship. You cannot have that. If just if you if we just make a point of I don't really need to attend, to be a part of a church I can just listen to sermons. There's nothing about listening to a sermon. That's the teaching piece. That's great. You can get some good teaching, but are you able to still have real fellowship where you can celebrate together and mourn together? Maybe there are things that when you're sharing certain things about yourself, there are things that might need some correction, and maybe being in a certain group I can get that. Or maybe there are times where I just need to be uplifted. Or maybe somebody else might need that from me. All of those things are a part of what fellowship looks like. Then another thing that happens, that is a part of fellowship, but I, I kind of wanted to separate it because I think it is a, a really beautiful picture, the breaking of bread together. 
You see, sometimes those two things may not always be synonymous. You can be with people and be with people in a room talking and all of that and then go home. Somebody in that group might be going home hungry. They got fellowship in the moment. They talked about things that were happening in their life. But some of their biggest needs, you realize breaking bread, that is always meeting an immediate need. There's something about sitting at a table and enjoying a meal with people where at least that immediate need is being met and it creates an, it, it, it lowers pretense. It allows for people to feel safe. It's interesting how Jesus uh, commissioned his disciples and basically gave the ministry to his disciples at a table over a meal. It's one of the most intimate settings in which you can do life. And so breaking bread is something that the church, we're supposed to be there to actually help meet these immediate needs and share and create intimate spaces where we can actually do life. That's the reason why just church attendance alone isn't always a way where real fellowship always happens. Sometimes it does. But a lot of times you might have fellowship at church and still walk away with a bunch of needs that don't get met because that that picture of uh, the breaking of bread really doesn't happen. And so that is another thing. And finally, prayer. You see, when you've done all these other things, you realize when you've done all of these other things in community with folks, you pray differently. When I have the word of God well, and I've studied the word of God, my prayers will be bathed in his words. So I'm no longer just praying my words. Bring his words. But it's not just that. Some people are really good at that. But if I'm praying without real fellowship, I have no idea how to be praying for you. I have no idea how to actually be pleading and petitioning for you because I don't have any real fellowship with you. If I, if I pray, but I haven't really spent time breaking bread with you, then there's an intimacy that I don't have with you. And so my prayers still are not robust in a way that shows that I genuinely am giving myself away for you. You see, many, in many ways, all these first three things, when you've done those things well, your prayers become less about you. I think for a lot of times, it's easy for us to pray in such a way in which we are very focused on self. But when you're in community and you've done the apostles' teaching and you've done fellowship and you've broken bread with one another, now your prayers are no, no longer find themselves self-focused in the way they've been before. And you may say, no, but I'm not self-focused. I pray for people all the time. Well, some of those prayers may not be filled with any, with any real truth about their lives. It's just generic. And sometimes that's all we can do. I get that. But we should be in a place where we're like, you know, I, I, I want to pray for this person. But in praying for that person, I don't know where they are. And I don't know, especially now in the midst of this pandemic, and it might mean, hey, I've got these folks that I know that, I, that I've had fellowship with, and because of safety, we've had to separate for a little bit. Let me pick up the phone and call this person. Because when I call that person and I get to know, you can definitely, there is a fellowship. You don't necessarily have to have physical proximity for that. I can be on the phone and go, what's going on in your life? How are you doing? What's been going on lately? And as you're talking and even listening to where they are, that's going to enrich how you pray. If you don't have fellowship, you can't possibly have a rich prayer life. If you're not in God's word, you can't possibly have a rich prayer life. If you're not in intimate settings with other believers, that breaking of bread, you can't possibly have that rich prayer life. Your prayer life becomes richer when it's less about you. The more it is focused on you, it becomes a real problem. So that's the church gathered. When they gathered, they did those things, right? 
we see some incredible things, though, that happen as a result of that type of gathering. This is where the church gathered should be gathered for impact. If you've been a part of our book study so far, we've been reading Lisa Sharon Harper's uh, Very Good Gospel. And one of the things she points out is that throughout both the Old and the New Testament, God's people have uh, been brought together and, and woven together in such a way that in their being spiritually formed, they become this forceful good. This, it, she uses this word like vehement good. This idea that there's this incredible impact that the people of God should have. And so if we are truly knit together and we truly are being uh, uh, shaped in this very, what she calls thick gospel and not this thin gospel, where maybe your gospel allows you to love the apostles' teaching and just be focused on teaching, but no real fellowship, no breaking of bread. Or maybe you love fellowship, but you don't really love, you know, you don't really get into the scriptures that much, but you love the fellowship. That's still a very thin gospel as well. And so the impact will not be what the early church's impact was. What was the early church's impact? Well, look at verses 44 through 47. We see one thing, this idea of unity and common purpose. They had all things in common. They were unified. There was a sense in which their purposes were aligned. When, I, when I'm in God's word and I'm in fellowship with you and I'm in intimate spaces with you and I'm praying for you, it's impossible for me not to have common purpose with you. It's vitally important that we get our purposes aligned and not in a, uh, not in a forced compulsory way. This is what I suspect happens in a lot of churches, at least ones that I've been in, where it's like, hey, around here, this is what we do, get in line. And so folks feel like, okay, well, if I'm in church, I'm supposed to do this. This is supposed to be fellowship. This is a forced thing over here. Let me do it. Well, if whatever it is the church is doing doesn't gear you towards, doesn't guide you towards getting in God's word, having genuine fellowship with other believers, sharing life, dealing with real issues, breaking bread in intimate spaces to the point where your prayer lives are so moved for the other person, then yeah, it's going to feel forced. You won't have unity. You won't have common purpose. The other thing we saw that happened is what did they do? They actually, this is how you know that your prayers are not self-focused. Because if you've been praying for people well, and you understand where people are, then you know where their needs are, which means whatever I have is yours. If there's stuff that I have, I have excess of something, I can sell that and help meet your needs. Listen, this, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that these specific things are these exact things are the prescription, because again, this is an example of something that's a description, not a prescription, okay? So hear me out. I'm not saying we have to completely uh, replicate what we see in this New Test Testament example. What I am saying is the principles that are there should absolutely be true. So in other words, okay, it may not be sell everything that I have to go, but it might mean what, what? benefits or privileges do I have that can actually help make life better for the one that I've gotten to know? And I've gotten to know them in this intimate place. I'm praying for them. And if I'm praying for them, but have the ability to actually help them, are my prayers really meaningful? Are my prayers actually sincere? Here, these folks immediately, because they were united in common purpose, they said, hey, you need something? I'm selling my stuff, bringing it here. We're going to make sure that people's needs are met. The other thing we see that happen, you had this uh, regular meeting together. See, this is why we know this can't be uh, prescriptive because they were meeting daily. 
And large, part, part of that is because they all, early on, they all were there for a while celebrating Passover, right? They're celebrating the, 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 the seven weeks, the feast of weeks that are going on. All those things are happening. They were so excited about the truth. They were meeting regularly in, in, in the homes that were there, and they were meeting to celebrate and have meals. They were uh, frequently meeting in the temple to be able to hear the teachings, to worship, and then they would go home together and have meals together. In other words, there's just this picture of depending on where we are culturally, depending on what's happening in our society, we try to make a habit of regularly meeting. And so nowadays, it's normally Sunday, right? Depending on where we are for some Saturday. But, but nowadays, we meet on Sundays and we try to do that regularly when we're able to meet. And we try to have some degree of fellowship. We try to have some degree of where we can have teaching. And, and folks try to find creative ways to be able to have meals uh, together. And, what, and, and here's the thing. Okay, so that was the impact, but what is the impact of that, right? Because again, it shouldn't just be forced and compulsory. What ended up happening as a result of these believers embodying all these things, as a result of them uh, devoting themselves to meeting together in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. So this is something that happens out of sincerity. And out of real joy. It's not compulsory. It's like, I do know, I think sometimes for, as churches, we can really get to the point where we're like, listen, I don't care how you feel, just show up. The truth is, I do care how you feel. We should care how we feel. I, I, it's self-serving to even go into the whole like, well, you just need to just show up and just be there. Yes, you need to be committed. And we do have to talk about that. And people need to have real commitment. The big issue is if you're not able to do it joyfully or sincerely, or sincerely, we need to ask why. It, do, do we have to go back to the first four big things again? Is it, is it hard for me to joyfully engage or sincerely engage because either A, I'm not in the apostles' teaching, I'm not in the word of God, I'm genuinely not in real fellowship with people. And I don't mean just proximity to people where people just say things they have to say and go home, but genuinely in the lives of people. Am I spending time in these intimate spaces, the breaking of bread? Am I genuinely praying for people? Because if those four things are true, then joy and sincerity should ensue. That's, that's just it. If I'm overwhelmed by the word of God and I'm sharing that sense of overwhelming with other folks and listening to them and what it is that God has overwhelmed them with and listening to even some of the hard things they're dealing with or sharing the hard things that I'm dealing with, and then going into a place where our needs, our most immediate needs are met as we break bread together. And I've taken everything that you've given me and it's affected the way that I pray. How can I not be joyful? How can I not be sincere? This is something that should be true of anybody because, and then what did it finally say? Folks were praising God and enjoying the favor or the goodwill of everyone. See, if I've been doing all these things, then afterward, I can't help but to be full of praise. God, you were good. I'm seeing what you're doing in these folks' lives. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving the blessing of other people, whether it's needs have been met, spiritual issues have been addressed, spiritual things that have been heavy. We're helping people lift during that time. Incredible losses that have been incurred. We're helping to encourage people through that. God, I'm praising you and speaking well of you because I'm seeing your favor, your goodwill, your blessedness on all of us together in both our hurts, our pains, and our joys. When that happens, this is the kind of purpose that the church lived into. And because they lived into that, finally at the very end, what does it say? Every day that this occurred, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
this is such a beautiful picture because really this is a this isn't just a bunch of people just had a bunch of church like as we know it it wasn't just the people like hey we had a bunch of good songs we had a good sermon and sent people on their way and they are full of the lord now it was it was a very hugely combined thing like both the soul and the body were dealt with here it was a very holistic approach now the the, the this theme this is how we know that this is more than just a one time thing because we notice Paul repeats some of these themes as he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So now we had that, all that stuff happened there in Jerusalem. We had all that stuff happen there. Now you've got this church in Ephesus now. This is far away from there. And people are now meeting as a church and they're growing and they're learning what it means. And what did Paul say? He starts describing what the purpose of the church was and is for them. Here's what he said. And he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. What was their purpose? To equip the saints in the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's very objective. That's an objective purpose of the church. If you need to know why church, what is the reason for the church? It's not just to sit and even receive. It's to sit and stand and be equipped so that the church gathered can then function as the church scattered. So we saw the church gathered, and that's vitally important but you realize that you are gathered in order to do something. Listen, a lot of times people love to go in, what's, what's the mission? What's our vision? What's our purpose? What's the, I want to know what the purpose of the church is. You know, when I, when I first planted this church and we started having meetings and all of us were helping to, to get this church off the ground, when we first started dealing with this, I remember moving here, trying to get a core team together, and we talked about this, and people would ask, but what's our big mission? What's our big purpose? Are we going to be like, you know, are we going to join that ministry over there? Are we going to do this thing for the city? Many times we fall into that mentality of every church has a mission and we got to figure out which mission we're going to be a part of so we can focus on that alone. The truth of the matter is, and this has been said many times, I didn't make this up. The church doesn't have a mission, truly. God's mission has a church. And so when we are a part of a church, we're a part of a church in order to be on mission with God. What is the mission of God? Well, what is, what is God's mission with us? Well, he, he gave those who are helping to lead the church, he gave them all of these different abilities and gifts and offices, whatever it is. Your purpose, my purpose, is to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you think, well, the purpose of the church is for me to come and they, I need to have these things there. I don't feel like that I'm connected. You know, we hear that a lot. I, I don't feel like I'm getting connected enough. Or I don't feel like I know enough people. I don't feel like enough people are reaching out to me. If you're being equipped, now maybe that's something we definitely need to always be focused on. But if you're part of a church, your purpose for being at that church is not just to be served. It is to serve. And so if you are genuinely a part of a church that did all the earlier things that we said, then you should find yourself being equipped 
in order to, to do the work of the ministry. What is the purpose of the work of the ministry? To build up the body of Christ. What is the purpose of those who are in like vocational ministry, pastors, teachers, shepherds, apostles? What's their point? To help build other people up in order to build up the body of Christ. How long do we do that? Until we are unified in the faith. Until we reach real unity. And what are we supposed to be unified in? Not just random faith. Faith in, in, in conjunction with the knowledge of who Jesus is. So again, that still ties back to the teachings. You still have to, you cannot grow without truly knowing who Jesus is. And when we grow in who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to, then we grow into maturity. Then we grow to a place where we have grown and we can start to stand a little bit more uh, on, on our own when we're faced with things. Still in community, but we know we have the strength to deal with things in hard times with a stature that is measured by Christ's fullness. It's not measured by uh, just kind of symbolic perseverance. It's measured by, when they say Christ's fullness, that means all of the attributes that make up who Jesus is, that's how we measure ourselves. So if you're in community with God's people and there's something in you that does not match up with the fullness of Jesus, that needs to be addressed. And sometimes we struggle when we have to hear there's something about me that is not in line with the fullness of who Jesus is. But when that happens, as we grow, when that happens, there's something about being, being uh, transformed into the fullness of who Jesus is. When that thing is true in us, there's something attractive about that. Sometimes we hear like <clears throat> attractional churches and that can create any number of ideas. But the truth of the matter is the most attractional church is the church that actually embodies who Jesus is. It's not the church that has the best pyrotechnics. It's probably a dated reference now, but it's not the church that has the best music. It's not the church that has the best uh, uh, presentation. <clears throat> it's the church who genuinely loves like Jesus does, lives like Jesus does. <clears throat> and then when you think about that and you combine that with what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is something that Jesus has made so clear that when people see the good works of God's people, when other people on the outside see these works that have been done, not in this very, very cheap way, but in a very holistic way, in a very comprehensive way, people who have been listening to God's word, being in real fellowship, being in a place where they have been in these intimate spaces where they know people well enough to know how to serve them well and how to pray for them well. And it leads to this place of real unity. It leads to a place where people's needs are met. It leads to a place where people are excited to, to meet and be among one another to the point where they can't help but say beautiful things about who God is, praising God and enjoying all of the goodwill and favor of everyone. When that happens, people won't be able to help themselves but wanting to glorify and make much of God themselves. They will be added into the number of those that are being saved. So what are we really saying? The purpose of the church is to equip, is to be able to encourage, is to be able to equip, is supposed to be able to help correct but in such a way, all of the equipping and all of the encouraging and all of the correction that happens should lead us to real impact. 
it doesn't do any good if it's just this idea of I've did all, done all these things and I feel so good about myself because of how close I am to God. I had a great worship experience and I feel so great about how close I am to God. Those are th- things good. Those, those are not bad. Nothing wrong with feeling close and nothing wrong with having a great worship experience. But if it does not move you to loving God and loving others, that may need to be questioned. Either what it is is being taught or what you're taking from it. How do we say this? Or why do I say this? I'm going to say this phrase and this might hit you the wrong way. And maybe I hope it does because I want to touch on it quickly. The purpose of the church, the impact of the church should, should be religious. You're going to go, wait, 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 wait. I've, I've come a long way from using that word now. I like to say things like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I, I deal with the relationship with Jesus. I don't like religion. Religion is bad. Re- relationship is good. Well, the Bible disagrees with you. James, the brother of Jesus, made it very clear that the difference is what you're talking about, and I agree on the surface of it, I agree with it, what, what we often are saying when we say, I don't want to be religious, is I don't want just rote, dead repetition because somebody told me to do it. I find that to be dead. I don't want rote, dead repetition that I'm compelled to do because somebody told me that this thing is going to make God love me more, or this thing is going to make me invited into God's kingdom more, or God's going to have more favor on me when I keep doing this. Be careful if that's how you teach uh, Christianity. Be careful if that's how you share that with other people. Be careful if you see people go through a hard time and go, well, what thing did you not do enough of that God then brought this upon you? That's religion. That's dead religion. That's not. But but James defines what pure and undefiled religion is. Your issue, my issue is with the, the, the faulty, kind of filthy, defiled religion. But but religion truly pure and undefiled religion is something we're called to. It's an impact word. It's not just what you feel in your heart. It's not just what you believe when you're by yourself in your prayer closet. True religion is something that's, an, that's actionable. And so think about what, what James, the brother of Jesus, says. Pure and undefiled religion, James 1.27. Before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, that phrase, orphans and widows, this was something that in some uh, areas was more of an idiom for anyone who was marginalized. Anybody who absolutely needs help, they're not able to have any real help for themselves. Maybe society does not care for them, whatever it is. The idea is the church was done all the aforementioned things we talked about. When those things are true, The purpose of the church is to put us in a place where those things are true internally so that we are on mission externally. We are able to be purely and in an undefiled way religious. We're able to look out for those who cannot look out for themselves or who do not, who cannot be advocated for or aren't advocated for, who aren't cared for. And this can be both physical or spiritual and keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's what I love about this. And this goes back to what Lisa Sharon Harper says about this thick versus thin gospel, right? A thick gospel is going to do both. A thick gospel is going to care about what happens on the spiritual level and also what happens, what, what people should care about on this physical or even societal level. A thick gospel is going to care about both things. I'll put it another way. And we've talked about this before. A thick gospel is going to ensure that we are not exclusively either a church of ghosts or a church of corpses. 
Now, Church of Corpses is the church that cares about the body, but does not care about the soul. So the soul, not even worried about it. We, we are caring. When we say the body, I care about all of these corporeal needs. I care about making sure that justice is brought. I care about making sure that people are fed and people are well and people are healthy. All very important. We need that. We should never stop doing that. But if I do that to the exclusion of the spiritual issues, I now have a church of corpses and I still have a very thin gospel. Because if all I care about is making sure that people are fed and good, which I need to care about, if that's the biggest thing that I care about, then, then the idea of people on a spiritual level not being reconciled to a holy God, not allowing some of the transformation that needs to happen for themselves, what it means for them to be able to walk and be all the things we said before, be in the apostles' teaching and to be able to have real fellowship and to really be able to get into not only be served, but for them to be equipped to then serve and be a part of God's mission. If we don't care about that, we still are, we are subscribing to a very thin gospel. That church of corpses, the body without a soul, that's not Jesus. Conversely, if we are also believing that the church should be someone that just cares about, the church should be something that just cares about the soul almost to the exclusion of the corporeal needs, we're just as guilty. And I would argue possibly even worse because the impact is both seen and felt in some horrific ways. History bears that out. So we can't just go, well, I care about the soul, but I don't care about the body, which is just a ghost. I care about the soul. I want to make sure that no matter what happens, I want to make sure that they love Jesus. I want to make sure they're walking with Jesus. I want to make sure they know how to pray. And as long as that happens, doesn't matter what else has happened in the world, they can stand knowing that they're going to be with Jesus in the great by and by. That is also a thin gospel. Some call that kind of the plantation gospel for those who were enslaved during uh, the, the enslavement of African peoples. The idea that as long as I know who Jesus is and I believe in Jesus and I worship him and I read the scriptures and I believe these things, I can't do anything about my station in life here and I can't change any of that. But, but I know that I will be with my Redeemer on the other side of this. That is not at all what Jesus calls us to do either. You see, we need, we need to care about both the soul and the body. We can't just be a church of ghosts and we can't just be a church of corpses. We have to be a church that genuinely cares about caring for people, meeting the needs of people, but also bringing people to a place where they are knowing the living God, where they are, as a, because they're so overwhelmed with the ways that they have been loved and cared for, they're like, I don't even, where does this come from? Help me understand the God that you serve, the God that has loved you the way you're loving me. Remember, that's what, isn't it what Jesus told us to do? Go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all the things that I've shown you, and, and to go out and, and love your neighbor as myself or as yourself, love your neighbor in the way that I've loved you. Aren't those the things that he told his people? So if that's the case, if that's supposed to be what we're doing as a church, people should be overwhelmed and go, the way you've loved me is unlike anything else that I've seen. And if what you believe moves you to love me in this radical way, Tell me more. At the end of the day, the purpose of the church is not about being something that we should attend. It should be something that we embody. We don't go to church. We are the church. That has become so cliche, but I hope 
that, that hits you. I hope in some level it makes us a little uncomfortable. You don't go to church. You are the church. We embody the church. We, we live out the fullness of Jesus as a group of believers. So we live our life focused on who Jesus is. And we demonstrate God's love by serving others and sharing our faith. That's something that we don't talk enough about. In many ways, people are willing to hear what our faith is when they see how our faith works. So when our faith is working and that true religion, that undefiled pure religion is on display, it becomes so much easier for people to be able to hear, all right, you're doing all this. Help me understand why you believe this. I have a friend of mine who's an attorney in Philadelphia. And he works for a civil rights, he's a civil rights attorney, and he works for a civil rights organization that helps protect the rights of Muslims. And he's the only Christian that works there. And many of his coworkers and the people that he serves, they are floored. They're like, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Because they, they're shocked when they find out he's not Muslim. They're like, what is it that makes you do this? Why in the world are you giving so much of your time and your talent to, to this as a Christian? And he tells them quite simply, this is one of the primary ways in which I live out my faith, what it means for me to love my neighbor. I've been so overwhelmed by the God that has loved me and redeemed me that I can't do anything else but to try to love you in the way that he's loved me. And so using my time and my talent, my education and my expertise, this is the least that I could do in order to be able to show the fullness of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Ultimately, the reason, the purpose for the church then is not, to, uh, is not to satisfy the needs and the whims of a consumer. We're being moved from a consumer to a contributor. That's the purpose, to move you from being a consumer to a contributor. You don't go just to be served. You go to serve because there's something, not just scriptural, there's something Christ-like about that. That is the purpose of the church. It's not per We're not perfect. The church isn't perfect. We get it wrong. And so the subjective experiences we have when, they get, when it's wrong, we can call that out. But it's not the purpose of the church that's wrong. It's the ways in which we fail to embody it. So let's live into that. Why should you be a part of a church? You should be able to answer that question so much better now. We should be able to say, I need to be a part of a church. Why? Because I need to be encouraged to stay in the scriptures. And I need to be encouraged to get into the lives of others. And I need to be encouraged to deal, figure out what intimacy and relationships look like. And I need to be encouraged to know what it means to be able to pray well for others in a holistic fashion. And I need all those things to happen in such a way that I am moved to make real impact in my life and in my community in a way that makes people go, I want to understand how a love like that could be true. That's what we're called to be. That's why the church matters. That's the point. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us straggling. You have not left us wondering and searching for what your purposes are. We can feel like that at times. But God, when we come back to your word, to your teaching, and you have shown us what the true reason for the church is. God, for whatever reason, you have chosen, you have chosen to call out people that you have saved and ransomed and you have used them, you use us to live out and enact this mission to which you have called us. 
God, we are humbled. I am humbled that you would even call us to do this. And yet, God, I'm also convicted in all the ways that we fail to do it. Convicted about all the ways that the church as a whole in different ways has failed to do it and the people that have been harmed because of it. God, my heart grieves for all who have found themselves completely disassociating from the idea of the church in some ways for very selfish reasons and in other ways for reasons we can understand. And God, wherever they find themselves, wherever we find ourselves, God, will you renew our minds? Will you renew a right spirit? Will you uh, get something, bring something about in us that whether it's the discomfort we need to acknowledge the ways in which we've deviated and the comfort we need to acknowledge the ways in which we are humbly uh, chasing after you, albeit imperfectly, but knowing that you are with us because you have said and you have promised that you will finish what you started. You started your church. You said the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. So God, make us a people that continues to love your church the way you do. Give us your purposes for the church and not our own. And let it be done in such a way that, our, that us and other people will be able to glorify and bring praise to your name because of all the ways that your love is on display. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive this final blessing, the benediction of God, together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.